can't top Adam's intro from last month. So, welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us. Um, yeah, we definitely aren't in the time machine. Rory's just not going to allow us to be in it because we're too indie-rific. Joining me yet again on this wonderful journey into August 2001 independent wrestling uh, is Adam Joyce. How are you, Adam? Oh, I've just had a nice long week-long break, so my mind is, is fresh and I'm prepared to look at the world in the most with the most positivity that I probably ever will right now. So I, I feel right now I'm at my best. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm looking forward to this. Good man. And uh, obviously Dan is here, who's probably going to serve us up another shit sandwich yet again. How are you, Dan? Ah, I, I am. I'm not sure if I'm liking this reputation or not, but um, I'm gonna run with it. But this time around, I are they as are they as good or sorry, bad as before? I don't. Maybe not. But there's there's definitely some some interesting uh, stories along the way with with some of the selections we've got this month. Yes, certainly a few interesting stories. Um, let's get the crappy ones out of the way first, shall we, gents? So, uh, heading into the news this month, Vince Russo and Andrew McManus, a promoter out of Australia, are going to be starting a new promotion called World Wrestling All-Stars, and uh, they're going to be preliminary uh, taping pay-per-view um, to air in the US, but will be hosting shows mostly in Australia and England. Uh, there seems to be... Again, a few WCW, ECW cast-offs all seem to be heading towards Australia. Uh, McManus ran a show uh, last year with Dennis Rodman in Australia and Mr. Perfect. That was the main event. It it drew well, and they're hoping to do uh, well yet again. So, gents, what what do you think of this new promotion? We've heard about plenty of new promotions starting up since we started this podcast, and they think we're getting another one. Um, I mean, it's nice that, you know, all the WCW guys who didn't get picked up have an option to work elsewhere. Uh, it's not so great under Vince Russo because we all saw how that worked out. Um, I mean, I, I, granted, I only did one show under that regime, but it's it stuck with me. Uh, most notably with me actually losing my shit on air. Um but yeah, I, it's, I, I don't know if it's a good idea, all these promotions, just doing all these pay-per-views all the time, because, I mean, what are you do, using to sort of build to them? Um, you don't, if you don't have any sort of TV, the internet fan base is such a small, small population. Wait, I mean, what, what sort of turnaround are you really getting? It, as much as I, going back to just local promotion and trying to get sort of TV and building from the ground up, it seems, it does seem to me like they're missing a step by focusing more on pay-per-views, which, um, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Wrestle Express in a minute and they, they think they are looking at this, will be soon be looking at the same problem. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree that the pay-per-view sort of idea 
doesn't sort of hold much with, with me because well, I'm not sure how many pay-per-views they've, they've got planned or something, but having those, like, you can't imagine there being sort of monthly, probably be sort of bigger gaps in between, and without having sort of the regular TV or regular kind of updates, um, you, you, the interest would surely wane. You'd have to sort of almost start from scratch every every couple of months or so. And are the rest of this you book for the first show going to be hang around? Well, not they'll hang around. They'll do other shows, but they want to come back down to Australia again in two, three months' time. I mean, Andrew Manasseh uh, is... Like say, done the promotion with um, Henning and Rodman, so he's probably got a decent about, amount of money. So is he going to be able to tie them into sort of contracts of X number of shows guaranteed for this amount of money, possibly? But yeah, it, all that time in between contracts can change. People, I mean, it's a trip from for most of them flying from the US down to Australia or over to to the UK. I can easily see a lot of them just going, well, no, I don't really fancy that flight, to be honest. I'd rather just stay home and work a few local shows instead. So, yeah, um, the names sort of mentioned who, who, who could go down there. I'd say the, the WCW talent who, who weren't picked up, so there's still a decent number of, of guys available. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, it's kind of a believe it when I see it type thing in terms of how it goes and then how it continues. We've also got talk of like uh, Vince Russo saying that um, he's going to buy out Scott Steiner's contract and other people's WCW contracts. I can't personally see that happening. Uh, If McManus has got a lot of money behind him, then don't necessarily do that because I think Scott's probably going to end up in the WWF at some point anyway. And like you said... Thinking where where is the money coming from? Because I'm as well paid as Vince Russo is. I uh, was back in the WCW days. How I don't think he even. I don't think he has the funds to buy out any of the Turner contracts. Surely. No, I can't personally see him buying out. It's obviously McManus has got some sort of money guy with him. Um, talking about money guys, you know, we got talk about that later on and mysterious promoters and their. Strange money backers. Uh, hopefully this isn't the same sort of deal here. But, uh, you know, what we'll, we're we'll talking about, um, the talent that would be booked for a show, then maybe they would get a contract somewhere else and you're starting to build a storyline around them. Probably isn't necessarily the best thing to do, but hey, hum, McManus and Russo feel like this is uh, a great idea and... Let's see what happens with this one. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to the first pay-per-view, which I think is scheduled for around October time. So maybe we could uh, look into covering that one, lads. So up next in the news, Hulk Hogan and Universal tapings is still ongoing. It's still a thing, apparently. But this month we have no real other news to report on that. It's still Hulk Hogan's involved, and so is Eric Bischoff, and but no talent apart from the hoaxer, has been announced. Up next, uh, Wrestle Express is finalising its card on October the 20th in Coventry, England. Uh, it seems to be that Carino will be defending his NWA title against Kurt Henning. 
Vampiro will be taking on Conan. There'll be a three-way ladder match involving Christine York and Joey Mathers versus Dragon Kid and Magnum Tokyo. As well as UK wrestlers, Johnny Storm, Jody Fleisch will be booked in that three-way ladder match. Apparently Jimmy Hart and Sonny Ono, who have been in England this past month doing promotion for the tour, were very impressed with what they saw from Storm and Fleisch. So, Adam, you're the England man. You know all about the England Indies. Is Jimmy Hart and then Sonny Ono, are they correct in what they've been saying? Well, are you, you've missed off, um, you missed off the world... You missed off the Wrestle Express heavyweight title match. That's been announced in the last couple of weeks. It's, oh, uh, come on then. Tell, tell me this one. Yeah, face of four-way, hardcore, no holds barred, falls count anywhere. Um, oh. It's a uh, world heavyweight title defended, uh, competed by four British guys. You've got Hot Stuff Stevie Knight. You've got Yannickist Doug Williams. You've got awesome Kerry Cabrero. And you have the Dominator. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, four, you know, solid to great guys in in that mix, but I, a a hardcore no holds barred fourth count anyway match for your first event <laughs> it does scream sort of mark booking. Um, you. It seems like you're just throwing everything at the wall. It's, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they have got, maybe they've sort of planned out where they're going to go from there. But, um, if I didn't know the promoter was a 19 year old kid, I would guess the promoter was a 19 year old kid looking at it. Um, <laughs> also, they did a Japanese press conference really, uh, recently where they announced uh, Medusa would be on the card in a women's match. And a couple of months ago, we announced that they had signed their first exclusive wrestler who would be working under the gimmick of Mr. William, uh, who, who will be taking on uh, Seema from Japan. Mm, so, okay. But yeah, um, I, am, I am looking forward to seeing how this goes. I mean, this, there is only one of two ways this is going to go. <laughs> it's either going to take... It's either going to, you know, catch fire and take flight or catch fire and fall apart. There is, I don't see any other outcome for this show. But I, I mean, obviously I, I hope, you know, it really sort of, it really sort of goes somewhere because, you know, since, since World of Sport folded in what, 1989, it's, you know, harder and harder for guys to get places to work. I mean, all stars picked up in the last couple of years, but there's only so many guys Brian Dixon can keep on on a, on a full time basis. So the more places to work, uh, better, the better for the guys. Uh, so uh, while I I'm not confident about it, I I really do wish them the best. Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm I'm with you there. The, um, it, the show sounds good. I, I really do hope it's a case of um, uh, they're not sort of over promising and under delivering because the matches announced as, as you sort of went through, they all sound sort of pretty good. Like ones I, I'd I want to want to watch, and then mentioned there's uh, sort of hopefully they're going to. It's not going to be like a one-off show. There, there'll be a, an idea for for TV or, or future shows as well. So 
yeah, we're good to see if it if it sort of takes off because yeah, as you say, as much as I've enjoyed sort of uh, watching uh, FWA and stuff the past few months, you can't just have the one 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 promotion on its own as North America is finding out. Um, so yeah, the more the more the merrier in terms of of shows it, uh, this side of the pond would be would be good. Well, I've certainly been very sceptic about this thing actually ever happening. If it happens, I will be absolutely shocked. And, yeah, I, I I can't see them pulling it off. But best of luck to them. I hope they do. Um, But I think, like Adam said, they're probably going to crash and burn. And it's it's not going to end very well. So on to the next story. Um, The G1 final match between uh, Keiji Mutu and Yuji Nagata. Did over 15 million viewers. Um, we'll be covering that match a little bit later. Uh, it was a very impressive number on television. And, um, yeah, it was uh, obviously New Japan Guy versus All Japan Guy. And uh, 15 million is uh, certainly nothing to be sniffed at. That's that's more people than was watching uh, Roar and, and, and Nitro last year, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it roughly worked out as like a 7.2. So what was Raw doing? Uh, you see, this is where we need Rory because he would just come in and give us a number straight away. I'm guessing yeah. at this point they were probably sort of hitting probably at what, sixes, I guess, now? Not all, at that Surely. time? Yeah, I think around this time they were definitely they were sort of sixes. Seven, I think there were sevens and eights. Uh, I know there was a... Uh, not a, a massive drop, but a definite sort of drop in sort of through 2001. So, yeah, so, yeah, they're hitting probably sixes. So, yeah, out, out drawing, drawing that aspect then. Hmm. It's, it, I mean, to be honest, I've, I'll go into the match later, but I can certainly, it certainly holds more appeal for me than some of the stuff. Is offering. It's a shame because there is some, but no, I'll, I mean, we'll go into further detail because we're actually covering that match later on the show. Um, so I'll save, I'll save my thoughts till then, really. Okay, then, gentlemen. So, last news story it'd be main event championship wrestling, a promotion headed by a promoter from Evansville, Tennessee, by the name of John Collins. He's an interesting fella. And we'll be talking more about him a bit later, but they run the ECW Arena this month, and they drew a very big crowd of 1,300. But, of course, the show was completely free. The show was also apparently taped for a television pilot. Yet again, sceptical me will say that will not see the light of day and will not air anywhere. So, Dan, you you obviously um, chose uh, two matches this month from this promotion. So how do you feel all about this uh, drawing of a big crowd? Uh, yeah, uh, so I, I saw the card and um, saw plenty of interesting matches. And yeah, as you say, pick pick two, one one uh, outright and then one for listeners vote that was successful. So we'll hear uh, from that as well. But uh, yeah, in terms of drawing a crowd, great. You've, you've got a thousand people in, but... Unless you've got merchandise and sort of other things going on, then yeah, a thousand people paying zero is zero. So yeah, not not great at all. I guess the 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 hope is that 
you've got a thousand people interested, so then they come back to the next time. But then you're still sort of, I guess, making up for the, the loss you've incurred on the on the first show. And yeah, as you mentioned, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, John Collins, the the man, uh, as when we come up to viewing the matches. But um, yeah, very interesting uh, promotional ta- tactic to start off your your debut. Um, or a promotion, albeit in a in an area that's sort of a, a hotbed for wrestling, and one that's been sort of waiting or wanting a, a wrestling show back there since the start of the year. So, yeah, um, great they've got the ECW arena, so that's a, a good location. Whether they can build on it, we we shall see. I'm trying not to be too skeptical about this. Um, <laughs> given the stories that are coming out, it's hard not to be. I mean, at least they didn't go down the Herb Abrams route of actually buying in a, a audience, um, which means that Herb Abrams at one point had the highest paid crowd in wrestling history, in wrestling history, because he paid people like fifty dollars or something to to come and watch his show, which is obviously a wrong way to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean. Doing a free show as your as your first show, it's it's not the worst promotional strategy. It, especially if you look at the product that they were uh, putting out, it was sort of it it was comparable to some of the, like um, the better or well, at least some of the stronger ECW cards. There was definitely that feeling there. I've, I've sort of Skim through some of the other matches that we're not covering, and there and there certainly is that that feeling that you are that it is very much an ECW an ECW crowd. So they have they do have the right sort of atmosphere. So there so if there is anything else coming from it, then there there is an audience who who judging by the reaction from the matches I watched. Is at least prepared to give these guys a chance. Um, although, I mean, the, as we'll discuss later, whether whether anything else is going to come from these guys um, is a bit hit or miss, shall we say? Yeah, Mr. Collins. As long as he doesn't end up in a hotel, uh, coat out of his face with hookers everywhere, then I'm sure he'll do well in this crazy thing called professional wrestling. So, we might as well uh, move on to our first match. And, uh, Dan, it's over to you, sir. Yeah. Thanks, Billy. Uh, yeah, our, our first match isn't from uh, Main Event Championship Wrestling. We're, we're, we're saving that good stuff till later. Um, for now, we're heading down to uh, NWA. Uh, regular listeners of, of the past few months will know that that's been sort of my pet project sort of to, to keep it keep up track with how the NWA World Heavyweight title seems going on. And uh, Steve Carino is still the champion. I don't think we covered him last month just because lack of match footage, but he's still still got the, the belt and in the match we're covering he is facing NWA Florida champion Buck Quartermain uh, in in Florida and a quick note on the arena, it's the uh, Fort Homer Armory in in Tampa, Florida, which um, doing a little bit of research 
founder, uh, young Elvis Presley performed there in 1955, and as have the Doors and the Ramones. So a notable venue, at least, and uh, one that was also used by Championship Wrestling of Florida in sort of the Dusty Rhodes, Jack Bristow age. So quite an NWA sort of venue for this NWA heavyweight title match in terms of the crowd probably not drawing the same amount in terms of when, so I say, the bands were playing there or or when Dusty Rhodes was in his pomp. Um, quick sort of look out there, what, a couple of hundred maybe. But still, like a, a, a decent enough sort of place to be. Uh, on to the match itself. And um, first off, Buck Horseman comes to the ring accompanied by Bill Alfonso and Bill Alfonso's whistle. Bit of a, a sigh there, as I thought, oh no, are we going to have 15, 20 minutes of constant whistling? But thankfully, Alfonso generally sort of keeps that to a minimum. So not too much of a distraction there. Um, and then Steve Corino sort of comes comes into ring as well and had a quick look at them, both wearing black trunks and blonde hair. And the video quality is not sort of the HD we used to now. So there was I was a bit concerned that I would get confused of who was who. But luckily, I think the commentator just about sort of saved it through, throughout. Uh, match starts with a couple of coronel types and then into a uh, shoulder block and elbow drop attempt by Quarterman, but that elbow drop is missed. Side headlock takedown by Carino and into sort of the, well, he's the king of old school, so expecting side head locks and, and hammer locks and stuff is all to be expected but still all good stuff in my opinion uh, but gets back up to a vertical base go to a back suplex but reverse into a crossbody and a quick two count for Carino but then back up puts Carino in the corner but does not issue this clean break and hits a knee and a few punches Irish whip but but Carino leaps over and catches Buck's legs into a slingshot, and that's for her to count two. Carino then got, tries a couple of submissions. I think there was a, an armbar and an STF attempt in there, but quickly Buck grabs to the ropes. But then as he gets to his feet, pokes Carino in the eyes, and but. But before uh, he attempted anything, Carino hits a quick uh, snap, uh, snap suplex trio and another near fall there. Carino whips uh, Buck into the corner. Buck fires back with Buck's out of the, sorry, and Buck fires out the corner with a lariat. Buck then uh, goes back to his heel antics with choking on the bottom rope for a couple of sort of almost five counts, and then catapults Carino uh, onto into the bottom rope for another two. Uh, Buck then picks Green up, hits a double arm DT and a knee drop. Throws into the corner and Buck then uh, chokes Green up in the in the corner as Fonzie taunts. But as I said, luckily without the whistle, just hear uh, Fonzie shouting at Green Eye. Green quickly goes for uh, the cradle, but only gets a two and a. Uh, Back elbow by Buck. 
but then applies a sleeper hold on the ground. But before Carino can sort of pass out, Buck breaks the hold. I'm a bit of a mystery as to why there. I never never understand why people break out break sleeper holds willingly. But pick, but then decides to hit hit a headbutt instead. And picks Carino back up. Throws him to the corner and hits a, a couple of left hands and puts Carino onto the top turnbuckle. But Carino reverses that into a top rope atomic drop. Red often, don't often see that. Hits a second atomic drop back on the back on the mat. But before Carino can build up any momentum, he's thrown to the outside by by uh, Buck Courtney. Buck now successful with his elbow drop this time on the floor and picks up a wooden chair and props it up against the uh, barricade. Goes for goes to whip Carino into Carino reverses and hits a drop toe hold, which at this point uh, Buck is now busted open. They continue on the outside for a for a while, uh, a couple of minutes, a bit of walk and brawl, both sort of around ringside and then into the crowd for a few moments before Queen brings Buck back to ringside, puts him on the apron and gets the ring bell, puts the ring bell on uh, Buck's watch and rings it in a style sort of very similar to the um, No Mercy uh, video game when you ever hear low blow, you always get that ding sound. So that's just funny, remind me of that at the time. Greeno then puts uh, Buck back into the ring, bringing in uh, that the wooden chair, sets it up, but that for another drop toe hold. But this time it is reversed. Greeno now going into the chair. Buck then picks Greeno up, hits it, goes to hit a punch, but that's blocked. Greeno reverses and then hits a quick DDT for a two. Picks up Buck and Greeno goes for. The Dusty Rose combination, a couple of punches and elbow drop, or sorry, standing elbow. Heads up to the, and then heads up to the top, but this time he's the one who's cut off and Buck hits him with a superplex. Doesn't go for the cover as, so as he heads up to the top, or so as Buck heads up to the top himself and hits his, uh, well, hits a top rope guillotine leg drop, which is, according to the commentary, his signature manoeuvre, but He's too slow to make the cover and only gets a two. But then decides to go for a second leg drop. But he's uh, particularly with the crowd and talking to Fonzie and that ends up missing said leg drop. Greeno takes advantage of this, hits a super kick, but that knocks Buck into the referee for uh, and the referee is now down. While the referee is down, out comes the salmon of all people and hits the Quino with the cane. Didn't see that coming. I had no idea that Samman was anyway involved with NWA Florida, but I guess he was free at the time. Um, this knocks out Greeno and but covers covers him as the ref gets gets back up and makes the three count. Do we have a new champion? Actually, no, because another referee comes out and informs the official of the interference, and the match is instead restarted. But immediately, the match is, is then over as Buck runs straight into the old school expulsion from Crino, and Crino retains. A dusty finish in the NWA in Florida. Who would have thought it?
I found it a pretty solid match. I'd say sorry to sort of start opening with the headlocks and collarbows, as you'd expect sort of a, from an old school fan, Carino. But um, not that exciting, all told. Gentlemen, your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I'm not surprised that, you know, we had the dusty furnish in Florida. Really not that shocked. Um, I was expecting this to be pretty terrible, but hey, it was a pretty standard match. They didn't do anything offensive or anything like that from within the ring, apart from the silly finish at the end. Carino, obviously, being the NWA champion, he's travelling all over America and working <laughs> with all sorts of different guys. And, yeah, it, he did a good job here, and he's, he's trying his best. And but really, nothing memorable about this match in any way whatsoever. But it was no. nice to see a WCW enhancement talent getting to shine in there for <laughs> you know, 20 minutes with the NWA champion. And, um, yeah, Dan, you, you didn't serve us up a shit sandwich here, so, but we've got another one to come yet, so oh, oh, yeah. maybe we'll get into that later. But, uh, I, I think you, you, you sort of know, know the sort of point in the head. It is kind of a, a, an old school end of the sort of trait of the, of yeah. the champ travelling the, the territories facing the local champion. And this is kind mm-hmm. of what we got. Like, Steve Renner gave Courtney quite a lot of offence in the match, but ultimately he's the one who still walks away with the title. Adam, how do you find it? Yeah, like you said, it's when they used to have the you know, the old school traveling NWA champions, there'd be sort of levels with regards to who they, regards to the matches they put on. If you were facing a true superstar, it would be like a Starcade esque match. If you were just facing uh, the top guy in the local promotion, you'd get this. It's it's not offensive, you know. Buck looked as credible as he needed to look in front of his home crowd. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't think the crowd were that into it, especially at the start, but, uh, they, they did seem to appreciate the finish though. I also loved, um, well, I think Buck Hugh is a, is a fairly good name for a heel. It's like, you know, what are you called? Buck Hugh. <laughs> Uh, but you know, there, I mean, there's really not a lot to be said about this match, to be honest. But it's uh, better than other title matches Carino had this month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, let's 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 swiftly move on from the NWA and let's uh, get in an aeroplane and head on over the Atlantic Ocean and head to England and. Uh, it's over to you, Adam, for FWA action yet again. Alright guys, in this time we all got to know one another. Of course you all know me, because I am the show stealer, Alex Shane, and you have all decided to step forward the Shane Express. But from this point on, I don't want to hear anybody calling anybody by their real names. I will give you names and those names will stick. I don't want to hear you talking anything about yourselves. I don't want you speaking to each other about where you come from, who you work for, who trained you, or anything else. Not even your goddamn wives' names. That way, you have to trust me. And I like it that way. See, I went out and I got the men that I wanted. I approached you, you didn't approach me. I know each and every person in this room. 
I know you, I know your work, I know your reputation, and I know you as men. Except for this guy. But that doesn't matter, because this guy's okay. If he wasn't okay, he wouldn't be here. So without the risk of sounding redundant, let me just say this one last time. I do not even want to think I hear one person calling anybody else by their real names. So I'm going to give you these names, and they're going to stick. Mr. Brown, Mr. White, Mr. Blue, Mr. Blonde, and Mr. Yellow. Uh, why do I have to be Mr. Yellow? Because you're a goddamn coward. Why can't we get to pick our own colours? Because I tried it once. You get four guys arguing about who's going to be Mr. Black. They don't want to back down because they don't know each other and we'll be here all goddamn night. Just be thankful you're not Mr. Pink. Yeah, but Mr. Brown sounds a bit like Mr. Poop. What's wrong with Mr. Pink? God, I'm Mr. Pink. Listen, I'm starting to realise why you guys don't talk. Listen, back to what we were saying. Anyway, Mr. Yellow sounds like Mr. Spineless. Why can't I be Mr. Purple? Yeah, that sounds like me. Mr. Purple. Who cares what your name is? Who cares if you're Mr. Yellow, Mr. Purple, Mr. Happy, Mr. Tickle? It's all right for you. You've got a cool sounding name, Mr. Blonde. Do you think Mr. Yellow's so wonderful? Why don't you try trade? Whoa, 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 listen. Nobody is changing names with anybody else. There were two ways around here, my way or the highway, son. And I suggest you pick the first one, Mr. Yellow. Jesus Christ, Alex, this is beneath me. I'm Mr. Yellow, right? Good, I'm glad I saw it. Now back to the business at hand. Guy Thunder. So, yeah, as you'll have uh, just heard, there was a nice little... A Reservoir Dogs rip-off there in, uh, with acting sort of on par with your average junior school production. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, that that promo alone is the only reason I, I picked this one. Um, I, as you, anyone who's been listening to this one, I've been watching the FWA TVs. However, for the, most of the month of August, they've been made just replayed the first six episodes so they only aired the one episode this month which was which started with that promo that you just heard and i'm going to be honest it's it's not had it not been for that promo i probably would have gone with a completely different match this month uh maybe um maybe even i don't know i think cm punk was facing Cole cabana for the 15th time who are they again i have no idea Oh, keep an eye out. They'll be big. I'm telling you now, Billy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is so. I I, I, I watched this match. Um, like I said, it, it, it's solely based just so we could play that promo. But because uh, this 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 feud is not over, it's going to keep going. So I may have to. I may be covering more of it sooner rather than later. So uh, let's let's start with the rundown. So um a uh, fairly straightforward recap of the past few weeks on TV. Uh first they showed how Guy Thunder was beaten down by Alex Chain Security when he uh turned down the offer to join them. And uh the next time he's on TV he spears Alex Chain, costing him his place in the FWA title tournament final. Uh, and then finally uh, we covered last week the tournament final where Alex Shane came out and Guy Thunder speared him and Doug Williams. So that's covered. Looks fairly good. Um, Alex is out first. Demands Guy Thunder to come out. Uh, so Thunder comes out charges to the ring. He ducks a clothesline, slips out of a one-night stand and attempts to hit a powerbomb before sending him to the outside. Uh, 
Thunder wipes out Shane is security with a somersault plancher over the ropes. Uh, I believe there's a better name for that, but I I just don't know it. Back in, Shane backs into the corner and Thunder goes to whip him across the ring, but Shane reverses only to eat a boot. Uh, Guy jumps up the ropes, but the security grab his ankle, making him a sitting duck for a Shane station kick that knocks him to the outside. Uh, cool looking move, I've, I've got to say that, but is it too cool for a heel to be hitting? It's, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, I mean, there's a debate for either side, to be honest. Um, so Thunder back drops out of the pile driver attempt on the floor and he beats Alex around the outside of the ring, culminating in a big slam on the floor. Thunder then busts out a table and leaves on the outside. I, I don't get this logic. Um, be it the Dudleys or anyone else. You bust out a table in the middle of the match, but you can't actually use it or you'll get disqualified. All you are doing is setting yourself up to be disqualified for no reason. Surely costing yourself the match is costing yourself the winner's share of the person. I'm going off on a tangent, so I'll get back to the match. Uh, back in, Shane hits a pump handle slam thing into a cutter. I wonder if that's one of the many positions DDP can nail his from. Um, somersault leg drop gets two and Guy, who looks like Shane needs to either use that as a finish or not at all really based on his size. Um, yeah. It's kind of similar to like the Harlem Hangover and Booker T only busts out on special occasions because it just looks bad when someone kicks out of it. Um, so Shane back up top and gets cut off as Thunder hits a sit-out driver. Uh, Thunder up the top hits a double axe handle but gets caught with a double-handed choke bomb for two. Shane grabs the table and places it in the corner. He goes to whip Thunder into it and Thunder reverses and goes for a spear, nailing the referee instead of Alex Shane. Uh, Thunder reverses something into a DDT but gets pulled off the cover by the security that are outside. While the security while away on Thunder, Shane checks on the downed ref, uh, keeping him from seeing the mugging that's happening in the aisleway. Thunder then reverses a double backdrop into a double DDT followed by a double spear and decks the last security guy for good measure. Back in, he measures up Shane only for Shane to sidestep him, have him spear the table in the corner. Uh, Shane then scoops him up for the one night stand for three count. The show goes off the air as Alex Shane leaves while Thunder just lies there doing the best sell job this whole match. Um, yeah, so when it comes to, to the FWA, especially as it starts to pick up momentum over the next little while. Their matches are, can be quite the spectacle, um, but as I mentioned at the end there, not a lot of selling or even a point to great psychology. I mean, the Will, Doug Williams matches were Doug Williams, so it was there. But some of the matches are just more about what the guys can do, which is really unfortunate. Because um, like I said, the only reason I went for this match is because of the promo, but it also gives a great flavour of what the FWA was serving up with the main event talent at the time, whether whether you like that style or not, at least, you know, it's, it's a great example of it here. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Um, to be fair, Adam, um, I thought it was a, a tight little match. I thought it was well done for a TV match, let's, let's be perfectly honest, you know. They basically got from point A to point B very quickly. And that's what they needed to do, because obviously it's a TV match. Now, I was wondering maybe it had been clipped, the match, 
at certain points because, like you said, there wasn't much selling going on. And it did seem to, they seemed to rush through the spots very quickly. So maybe that's what made me think it had been edited for television, but maybe I'm giving the FWA editor a bit too much credit there. But overall, I thought it was a good match. Good TV match. Certainly if I was living in Portsmouth and uh, I was up at 11 o'clock at night and I happened to stumble across this, I'd certainly be intrigued to come back and watch it again. And after the um, pre-match promo, which was just tremendous, uh, tremendously acted badly, but still it was tremendous. Yeah, no, um, I'm looking forward to, to watching some more FWA television down the road. Yeah, it's uh, nice, nice to get a, a match or a, a show that has a bit of um, a story running through it. It's been a bit sort of tricky sometimes with, with the matches that we do and picking one match sort of here, there, and everywhere as we as we do on this, this show. Sometimes it's hard to get the story part involved into it, but um, but I think they come across quite well. And as you say, having that sort of the, the recap before, I mean. The Reservoir Dogs promo aside, which was interesting. I mean, you mentioned it to us sort of before recording when you, we shared the matches, but to, to watch that beforehand and you know, gave it a watch. It took, took me a little while to sort of clock on to what they were doing, and then it was, oh, they're literally going sort of pretty much word for word to the, the Reservoir Dogs uh, scene, but never mind. But it was what it was, I suppose. Um, but then uh, throughout the show, there was sort of, as you say, um, the sort of recaps of what happened before. And yeah, um, perfectly sort of timed match. Uh, yeah, if it was clipped, it was clipped, I guess. But, but it felt it felt good. It felt like it was a good match, and it uh, sort of carried on that story throughout with the 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 interference of the various Mister. I was going to say Mr. Men, but that's a bit harsh. But <laughs> various uh, Mr. Purples and Miss Pinks and so forth. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Really good. And I always forget how big Alex Shane is as well. Like I say, some of the moves he was doing, he could have easily won with being with a, uh, being a man of his size. But, yeah, um, I enjoyed it. And, yeah, wouldn't mind seeing how that sort of it follows on and continues in the next month or so. So, uh, let's head back to the US and, uh, we're stopping now in Los Angeles, California. And, um, we're going to talk about a, a certain promoter. It's not the one that we were teasing from earlier, but let's call him a sleazy promoter, Rob Black. And, uh, what's been going on with him this month? And, uh, he's XPW heavyweight champion, the Messiah. Uh, there hasn't been much news on what happened to Messiah, but he's left XPW. Obviously, we're not in the time machine mode here, so we might as well divulge what actually happened. Um, unfortunately, Messiah seemed to be sleeping with um, Rob Black's wife, who is a character by the name of Izzy Borden. Um, Rob obviously didn't take too kindly to this news and um, had shall we say, to mask assailants attack Messiah after he fired him. Uh, this isn't in a storyline. This is happened in real life. And um, they tried to cut his dick off with a samurai sword. <laughs> so Rob Black 
Yeah, good guy, this Rob Black. Great guy. Um, they were unsuccessful in removing his dick with a samurai sword. Obviously, they watched far too much Attitude Era wrestling. Uh, they actually ended up chopping his pinky finger off, and the police are investigating it still at this present moment in time. But that is the real reason Messiah has gone from XPW, and he is no longer the XPW yeah. world champion. Chaps, what do you think about this crazy story? <laughs> yeah, how it's not a part of the story, or how it's not something we would have seen, yeah, on Raw in 1998 or before, or before. yeah, it, it screams sort of soap opera that's got a bit too far out of the hand, and I know wrestling sometimes is described as a soap opera, but it this borderlines on the, the ridiculous, really. And, yeah, I, well, I think we'll mention it in a minute, but the the way they get around it on the show is interesting, to say the least. <laughs> yes, very true. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest, this is not the sort of thing I would have outwardly chosen for the show, but, I, but just the story behind it, I was like, this is something... We have to cover, and I'm gonna be honest. The the what the what they presented us with, um, as as we're gonna hear in a second, um, it made it at least easier for me. Uh, uh, being the professional I was the first time I I watched this, I was I don't think I was following it very well, so I kind of missed the finish. So I. Um, I sat down on it earlier today with a bottle of uh, appropriately ditzy blonde, given you know what's caused this situation, um, <laughs> and you know the, the taste of that. All if I'd have had more of them, would have balanced out the taste this match left in my mouth. Unfortunately, um, no, I just had the one because obviously I, I had to do this a short time later. <laughs> Well, yeah, this is, um, so let's, let's just throw you over to the XPW's explanation, shall we? Messiah! Messiah, where are you, man? Dude, we should be training, where are you? Messiah! Messiah. The time has come. Dude, time for what, man? Get down here, you're freaking me out, we got a match! I was lured by and 
became a component of the violence I once loathed. I came here to destroy men who sought violence for the sake of violence, and while I did so with pure and holy intentions, by lowering myself to once again be a simple human, I have failed. How could the Son of God become king of the death man? So now, I must leave. My spirit broken, I must return to my Father in heaven. So it shall be written, and so it shall come to pass. Dude, this ain't funny. I hope this is like a big psychological thing to get you ready for the match. No, there is no other way. I cannot continue. I've already destroyed my soul because of this company, because of you and your ways. I've been taught to forgive sins, but I must leave now, for it's too much to forgive. Messiah, you can't go. I need you tonight. Everything is on the line. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? I will acknowledge that I was able to fulfill my quest in part because you chose me your guardian angel. Therefore, I will not leave you alone. I regret much of what I have done here. I know there is no way I can do all that has been done, but this shall serve the start. I leave you now, Rob Black, but I do not leave you alone. Behold, your new guardian angel. I thought you were dead. My, my kingdom come, my will be done. For you know I am the one. The Messiah has come. And gone. So as you heard right there, XPW had uh, a wonderful explanation um, <laughs> to why the Messiah would be absent from tonight's show. Um, if you didn't kind of catch the context of it all, Rob Black is basically in a basement. They say it's his sex dungeon. Let's just call it that. <laughs> and he's asking why the Messiah isn't training. And the Messiah is not even there at this point. It's just a dark room that he's in. And then... Above Black appears a ghostly figure who then proceeds to tell Rob Black that his father in heaven, so he's God at this point, wants him to return home. And he has now regretted how he spent his time in XPW. The ghostly figure then straight, well, basically it looked like something out of Cocoon, but with really cheap production values. (laughs) Obviously, you know. Rob Black with his producing and production and certain things. <laughs> That's why it looked so poor. And uh, he can no longer be Rob Black's guardian angel in the Rob Black army group. And, uh, yeah, the guardian angel basically says that he has chosen a new guardian angel for Black. And then the ghostly figure basically ascends to the heavens. And that was... Probably the, one of the best explanations for Messiah's absence from this show that you will ever get. Let's just quickly talk about this, chats, because it was um, some good shit, shall we say. I love the Asylum films. Um, most of them, anyway. Sharknado, Transmorphers, Snakes on a Train. I, 
Um, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, that one bored me. One, by the, uh, my interest died in that film around the same time Kevin Nash died. But oh. <laughs> he was easily the best thing in it, and he was in it for like 20 minutes. Um, and I, 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 but no, I mean, the Asylum films are, are brilliant, and this felt like a scene out of, out of an Asylum film, and I'm, like, I, 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 I'm more than happy to sit through uh, several of those films. Um, I just, I don't know if it really crosses over to a, to a good wrestling product. Um, I mean, obviously, I'd need to see it in a good wrestling product to judge it. But, <laughs> mm. but in, in this instance, I don't, I don't think it... I mean, if it, at least they didn't try and play it straight, because it, otherwise that would have put the cringe level up to Royal Rumble 1994 levels with The Undertaker. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rory. I don't have a WrestleMania eight reference. I can I can apply this to, um, but yeah, I, I like I said, it's, it was entertaining. Um, I'll give it that, but it just, oh, I, it's, I just feel it's 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 wrongly placed. It's it, it's I can't take. Especially when you look at the way they do the match, as you're, we're about to discuss, you know, there, there's no, this is obviously done as much for comedy as anything else. And it's, and the match is played completely straight. It just, oh, the, the disconnect is just too much for me. Um, I don't know, what about you, Dan? What do you say? Uh, yeah, in, interesting you mentioned uh, so the Undertaker 94 and the uh, sort of ascension there and stuff. I talk, put it, trying to compare it to uh, that, that sad time when uh, Poochie left the Itchy and Scratchy show and he ascended back to his home planet. <laughs> well, but, but yes, with, with the production values of, uh, well, I think a B movie's harsh, maybe maybe even the C movie, if there's ever, if there is such a thing. But, um, Absolutely bizarre, and yeah, really was done tongue in cheek. And then I, I sort of made the mistake of watching the match first, and then going back and watching it afterwards. Watching the match, I sort of thought it was supposed to be serious, but then turned into a bit of a, a joke. But then watching this, it was oh, okay, it's all just fun and games that make, I guess, Rob Black laugh, and that's about it. But yeah, what a weird way to write somebody off. And we've we've seen many different ways of doing that in promotions in the past, but yeah, never with um, what constitutes as what um, afford affordable CGI to <laughs> <laughs> and some sort of weird yeah pseudo biblical reference to yeah he's 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 the Messiah so yeah I guess he must be. Um, the son of God or, or, or something, yeah, but so very bizarre, very, very bizarre indeed. But in a weird way, I'm glad I watched it because it sort of provided some sort of context and closure on the thing. But, uh, yeah. I didn't expect to see that. the Anderson. I mean, you know. Cause... <laughs> oh, oh, that would be lovely, lovely to find out if it, if it, if it was. <laughs> 
I don't think Oli would be, you know, that stupid to go and work for Rob Black. <laughs> I didn't say Oli was working for him. I just said he sold him the the voice changer. I mean, you know, it's a bit of rest. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good businessman. If only there was a, a uh, sparkly Stormtrooper helmet, then we'd know for certain. <laughs> well, after all the fun and games... Um, we finally get to the main event of the XPW Damage Show, which was held in um, the Grand Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles, California. And uh, believe it or not, chaps, there's a stipulation to this match. Um, not that they explained it very well, but, you know, they certainly tried. Uh, it's for ownership of, uh, well, they didn't say ownership, they said control of the company. So Rob Black's obviously in control of the company, and... Sabu and Jason Lazy want to take it, the control away from Rob Black and his army of misfits, shall we say. So we go straight to the ring and Rob Black is there and um, he seems to be rather upset and I'm sure he is. His wife's been cheating on him, so poor man. He it's, uh, pushes the ring announcer over immediately and then screams... For him to get the fuck out of there, because of course he does, this is XPW. Black says, XPW didn't start with the Messiah or Sabu, it started with him and his best friend, who is an adult entertainment star by the name of Jason Lazy, who will be Sabu's tag team partner tonight. And he says he's going to fucking end it tonight between the three of them. He says he never hated anyone in his life as much as he hates Lazy and Sabu. He then proceeds to take a shot at the crowd saying they made him fucking sick. He just doesn't like Los Angeles. He's trying to get hit. He calls them scumbags and calls them fucking immigrants and low-life trash. And like, come on, Rob. You don't need to go there, mate. Then calls out Sabu and uh, Jason Lazy. Of course, they make their way out to the ring. But... Obviously, Chris Close and Larry Riviera on commentary are wondering, well, who is Rob Black's uh, partner? We're not going to get the answer to that just yet. Lazy also asks who Rob Black's partner is, and he, he, he says, if it's Black's wife, Izzy Bolden, who is at ringside, then he's definitely going to submit to her any time in the most sleaziest way possible. And this guy's supposed to be a baby face. Bell then rings and Sabu steps out of the ring as Lazy and Black tease violence. But Black wants Sabu for some reason. Black slaps the shit out of Sabu. But Sabu nails him back with a big slap of his own and sends him onto his ass. Sabu then chokes Black and drops a leg drop for a two count. Sabu works over Black with stomps and punches in the corner. Still no sign of this tag team partner yet. Sabu tags in Lazy who spears black for a two count that was the worst looking spear ever trust me uh lazy punches um sabu um black and then tags in sabu why why we've got legal tags here i don't know sabu throws a chair at black bouncing off of black's head in the process sabu continues to work over black with a spike driving it into his head over and over again which of course draws some blood from the Donald Trump of the porn industry, as Larry Riviera says on commentary. Rolls eyes. 
Lazy sets up a table and lays a prone black onto the table. Lazy then springboards off of Sabu's back, crashing down onto Black, who is on the table, in a very awkward-looking spot. A bloody Black rolls to the outside and heads to the back. This is where the fuckery begins. Lazy grabs a microphone and screams at Black, Fuck you! Because that is all he could muster up in his promo. And then proceeds to say that he, that Rob Black is going to sell this company to New York. I don't think Vince is going to touch this company with a 10-foot barge pole. I'll be perfectly honest. Sabu and Lazy head to the back, and they bring out someone. I wouldn't say it was Rob Black, but apparently this is Rob Black. He's got a pretty convincing haircut, um, but he seems to be a little bit heavier. Uh, Rob Black then fires up, if it is really Rob Black. And uh, this new and improved Black seems to have gained a few pounds as well. Sabu and Black go back and forth and exchange lefts and rights. The two drool over a chair. Black overpowers Sabu and nails him with the chair. The announcers wonder why and how Black now has all the energy and assume he pops some Viagra in the back. Come on, guys, come on. Sabu battles back, then New Jack appears with another man looking very similar to Rob Black and tosses him into the ring. So we have two Rob Blacks now. Okay. Sabu wallops him with a chair shot and now we have two Rob Blacks. Yes, I just said that. I'll say it again. The announcers then say, well, one of these men isn't Rob Black. Maybe it's the guy with the bigger gut. Chris Close. Just, just, just saying. Back in the ring, Lazy covers the real Rob Black for a two count. Lazy drops Black with a DDT for another two count. The announcers then figure out who the other Rob Black is. And it's white trash Johnny Webb, who is a part of Rob Black's army. On the outside, the real Rob Black blows, blows Lazy, while Sabu goes for a triple jump leg drop, but outruns the first ever XPW heavyweight champion, Damien Steele, who's returning to the company tonight. And he nails Sabu. Rob Black actually, Rob Black, actually Johnny Webb then climbs to the top rope and drops an elbow drop down onto Lazy, who is laid out on a table. Meanwhile, still continues to take out Sabu. Webb then rolls Lazy into the ring, covers him for a free count to absolute silence because like myself, and probably you two guys as well, they were as confused as the rest of us. Still, Webb and Black celebrate as Rob Black suddenly hands over the vacant XPW heavyweight title to, to Webb to end the show. Well, what a fucking mess this was. Again, XPW wanted to do something different to get people talking about their product rather than the very real-life incident that had taken place outside of the ring with Rob Black, the Messiah, and Izzy Borden. But to me, this match wasn't the answer yes Webb did look like Black but you know he was slightly a little bit heavier and you could notice it it was an angle that had been done before obviously at Halloween Havoc 1990 with um, Barry Windham playing fake Sting and Sid covering the fake Sting Uh, but this was a, a complete mess and the crowd seemed confused then most of 
well, basically everyone just seems a little bit confused. And if you didn't have any like knowledge of the XPW product or you didn't know the ins and outs of this story, it would just confuse the life out of it. But you know what? I thought we should cover this match for the real life incident that happened beforehand. So, Adam, what, what do you think of all of this? You say Halloween Havoc 1990. This, a similar thing happened at the Survivor Series last year. So, it's, in theory, it's not an original idea. Cause you had Kurt and Eric Angle do the. Ah, uh, yes, against The Undertaker. Yeah, you're right. So, it. There's an old. Jim Cornette once said that everything in wrestling has like a seven year lifespan. After seven years or so, because of the turnover of the fan base, you can generally do something again. I mean, it's, it's, um, as, with like, um, the boots, boom of like video cassettes, uh, in the nineties, it's, it's a lot harder to do, but, yeah, this was definitely not close to seven years, and although um, most of the people there aren't going to be major WWF fans, they're still going to know it happened. Um, and also, they did it. WCW did it Halloween Havoc last year as well. Or was that the year before with Jarrett and Sting? They did a similar thing. Um, oh, yeah. Jarrett dressed up as old school Sting, didn't he? Yes, Sting. Yeah. So yeah, it's. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, I've, I've, I mentioned my, some of my feelings on this match earlier, but it was just a, a mess. Um, Rob Black's obviously not trained at this, neither is lazy. Um, and the trouble is, they spent a lot of time in the ring, way more than some than people with that amount of training should be in the ring with someone of equal amount of training. Um, I mean, even half, half the time Sabu in there didn't even look like he cared. Um, also, I just want to say, a world title, really, other, outside of Sabu, how many, many title defenses have there been outside of California? Not one title will change outside of I will never refer to it as a world title. I will always say the XPW definitely. title. Oh, Sabu is the only person. That's fair. But yeah, because they, they sell it as a world title. It's in the ECW world sell, but it had the fan base that was, you could kind of let it slide, but no. No, Rob. It, it's not. Um, yeah, I mean... Like I said, I I had a beer or two watching this match, but that was mo- that was not out of enjoyment. That was just to make it go faster. Uh, <laughs> I when you know when they went back to the curtain, I was the spot I was hoping they were going to go with um, one that could be re- recycled slightly more is. Um, one of the rules leading up to WrestleMania 10, uh, Razor Ramon chased Sean Michaels up the aisleway. Sean stumbled right by the curtain as Razor came up to him. Diesel popped him through the curtain. Now that, 
that would have piqued my interest more than this clone thing that people keep trying to push and very rare does it stick. Um, yeah, I, by, by the time it was revealed as there being two Rob Blacks, my interest in this match had gone. Um, I, I was like, I'm, I tried sort of following it, but no. The only, I'm going to be honest, like, the only thing I really can say that they do did well in this whole production is, um, they actually captured, I think they captured the audio on a separate uh, track. Um, something I've, uh, I've mentioned on previous episodes about people relying on the ambient mics on the camera. No, these people actually have enough product, production knowledge, um, to know to separate, uh, to, uh, separate the microphone audio so you can actually hear what the guys are saying. Um, unfortunately, what they were saying was really, really crappy wrestling promo. Um, I'm going to... Maybe I'm on my own here, but dropping F-bombs in wrestling promos just... It's... Especially if you're... Especially if you've got, like, a small-scale TV your deal, it's, it's really not a good look. It just makes you look so amateur. Um, but then again, so did the action in this match. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I could, I would say I could go on, but that would mean I was paying more attention. Um, I mean, I didn't even know who Damien Steele was because he had, he, out of all the guys in that crew that they shot, they did a promo at the end. He looked like the one guy who, who had a halfway decent look to him. But, I mean, do, um, the, the guy who got the title, is he, did he actually go on? Has he done anything else? Is this uh, pinnacle? Basically, he didn't really do a whole lot of white trash Johnny Webb. He basically stuck around the California indie scene for a little bit. Um, I doubt it we'll see him again on the podcast. Let's just put it like that. Okay. Yeah, no, that, I I have no love for this match, but I was never going to. And watching this has given me no reason to watch any further XBW stuff. Um, that, yeah, that's all I've got left to say about that. Good news, Adam. There's plenty of XPW next month. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you, Dan. How did you feel about this thing? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, uh, not much left left to say. But as, as I remember, I probably watched this in the wrong order. I think if I watched the the opening promo and sort of explanation from the from the commentators before then watching the the match, I may have got a bit more out of it, or maybe been somewhat more, more invested into it. But I mean, it wasn't a bit convoluted going through. Yeah, and the, yeah, with the is that Rob Black? Is that someone else thing? They didn't really sort of explain that too well. And surely he didn't. He looked a little bit like him. I guess as best as they could make him them look look like they did. But yeah, as soon as you got a decent enough close up, you could see straight away that that something was was amiss. I would. I think you mentioned that it is a bit heavier and and slightly different sort of body shape. I didn't really sort of get that. But yeah. I, I, they sort of explained it to someone else. Thought, okay, we're going with this. Is, this is how it's going to go, and then that kind of almost telegraphed 
the fact that Robert Black was probably going to win because of general sort of screwiness of how they they book it. Uh, I guess in some way, glad to see that Robert Black didn't keep the belt for himself in in the start of Russo, which I imagine is that's probably he probably probably did sort of follow that sort of similar way booking style. I haven't seen enough XPW to follow. I, all I know from them is their sort of the West Coast version of ECW, but um, Paulie, he is not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sabu, I think, uh, for, the, for the most part, was pretty much on form in, in terms of what he did, not too, not too sort of botchy and stuff. I think it was okay. There was part of me talking, thinking at times, was this Rob Black's way of saying that he's one of the boys, he's willing to take the beating, considering the kind of pretty brutal attack with that with that sort of spike that Sabu put on him. I, I thought, well, is, is this Rob Black saying that this, I'm I'm like one of you guys, I can take the punishment, so if, if I'm willing to do it, so can you. Not anywhere remotely close to the, to the way that... Um, Vince McMahon had, had did it in terms of that I'm one of I can wrestle I can be involved in matches I, I'm willing to do things like you guys do absolutely nowhere near near that at all but I mean fair play to him for doing it I'm pretty certain I wouldn't so fair play on that but yeah very sort of confusing and convoluted and as as Adam said so partway through it I was sort of losing interest or looking almost anywhere but the, but the match just sort of keeping an eye and making sure it hadn't already finished unfortunately it didn't it kind of dragged for a little bit but yeah I, I think we've already got to the point of going past whatever uh, good XPW had done in the past I think from sort of memory I think they had did some decent sort of stuff maybe a year or two before but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if we'll ever come back. I can't see us going back unless there's something we're all missing out or that we haven't sort of thought about that's coming up in the next few months. But it doesn't doesn't look like it's going to be a fun trip if we ever go back there. Don't you worry, lads. Once I get to the ECW arena, we'll definitely be going back there. <laughs> <laughs> so who would have thought it? I served up the shit sandwich this month. So now it's time to head on up to Philadelphia and to talk about another really bad promoter. Uh, I suppose it'd be over to you, Dan. Well, yeah, we have sort of mentioned the ECW arena and XPW being our version of, of ECW. So no better time to head straight back to the ECW arena, or should that be the MECW arena? For this, because uh, a company or a new, a brand new promotion, as mentioned in the news, called Main Event Championship Wrestling, uh, debuted their first show at at the ACW uh, Arena uh, in August. Um, a promotion started up by a man called uh, John Collins, and going by the news that we mentioned before, he's getting he's sort of very much seen as a bit of a, a Herb Abrams again, not in, not completely in terms of how he sort of, how he may end up, but in terms of his lack of um, 
promotional sort of skills it seems in terms of not wanting to advertise or not bothering to uh, advertise in the show other than just a few sort of flyers in the Philadelphia area that clearly weren't really sort of seen because even though they're advertising uh, tickets for for $20 which seems pretty on the sort of cheapest side I guess I I can't remember sort of the top price of tickets back back then but um, they were just relying on sort of word of mouth almost or the internet version of sort of word of mouth and ended up as I say papering the event and just basically inviting a thousand people to just walk through the door for free uh, and as we mentioned before this I'm not sure if this is a good, good strategy or not I mean it could get people interested it might not but um, in terms of the card it's, itself it actually sort of had a decent level of name value to it I'll quickly run through the, the matches in total we've uh, we've got uh, there was a New Jack versus uh, DeVito. Uh, we had Chris Chetty and Danny Doring versus York and Matthews. Um, the match, the first match I'll be covering for you, which was actually part of the listeners' uh, poll, which is Buff Bagwell versus uh, Jack Victory. Then on to uh, it was Hot Commodity, so it's Hamrick and De Niro versus a team I'm not heard of. Forgive me for that. Called Hell on Earth, Prince Justice and Rob Williams. Unless you guys know them, I, I presuming they're local indie guys. Do you guys uh, Prince, heard of those? Prince Justice those is Abyss. Basically, he's going to become Abyss. Oh, okay. We, we had him on the podcast. What? Month? Yeah. Yeah, it was last been, month. <laughs> yeah, the name just didn't ring a bell. I don't know why. Um. Okay, so uh, at least sort of name value, and as you said, most of that previous card, ex ECW alum, carrying sort of onto the card. Uh, the, the second match I'll be covering from, from that, from this, from this uh, event was uh, Kurt Henning versus uh, a young Chris Harris. Then we had Public Enemy versus the FBI, so kind of old ECW versus the sort of last sort of throws of ECW. Simon Diamond and the Blue Blue Meanie, uh, Crowbar, someone from WCW, defeating B-Round Roadkill. And then Mike Rotunda, so IRS, I'm getting that name correctly, and Rockin' Rebel versus Gary Wolf and Johnny Hotbody, so the same Gary Wolf of the... um, Pitbull's fame, I'm guessing. Must be the very same one. And finally, Sabu, who we've already seen, versus the Sandman in a Stairway to Heaven match. So, yeah, a pretty sort of decent card all the way through. And I think if they actually bothered to promote it or or sort of advertise it in any time sort of in advance, they probably could have got people paying to go and watch it. Um, what do you guys think? Because that, that sounds like a pretty decent card to me. Yeah, the card was sounding good on paper. Um, yeah, I've watched the I've watched the it was the Chetty match at the beginning with York and Matthews, and that was it was alright. Was it was a decent TV match? Um, but it didn't make and obviously 
the listeners match and the title match for Kurt Henning, which we're about to cover. So, yeah, um, it didn't make me want to go out of the way to see the rest, but on paper, the lineup was pretty solid. Um, I can't really see this promotion, you know, with being able to sustain paying large payouts because a lot of the guys are on like 1,500 a shot, which is okay. It's pretty reasonable rate to be on, but again, they're not charging anyone to get into the building. Hopefully they, uh, you know, sell some tickets next time. So they're able to, to pay the guys, but yeah, I, I just can't see this promotion working. I really can't. No, they've got a tour planned next month and, um, or in September, so I, I don't know if anything comes from that. And then they're going to, apparently going to Canada in November. Again, I'll look out and see if they ever, uh, if any of that, that footage ever appears anywhere, if, if indeed that ever happened. Because, um, John Collins, as you mentioned, the, this, the new version of, uh, Herb Abrams apparently has, uh, has a, uh, a, a prison record and as, as doing very sort of Abrams-esque things in terms of claiming people have signed when they haven't or, um, just talking about TV deals, which, which again is just saying things to, to garner interest which probably don't really exist. And I don't think Herb Abrams ever fakes a heart attack to get out of paying the boys. He just, <laughs> I, think, I think he had some other ways of not paying the boys, but I don't think faking a heart attack was one he ever used. He just went with the real having a heart attack. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? The, 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 there's the there's the pretenders and then there's the real deal, isn't there? I guess. <laughs> I get. I guess John Collins didn't really commit fully to to, to the role <laughs> in, some, in some ways. But again, yeah, sort of reading, reading through some sort of news clippings on it. Um, Kurt Henning, who we'll see in a, here from in a moment, uh, was apparently sort of again probably you probably say was probably the, the biggest name they had, and he was trying to use his sort of clout to try and bring in Bobby Heenan uh, as an announcer. But um, to be honest, could you re- really see Bobby Heenan bothering to, to do this or wanting to do this? Because as we know, he's like, the last few years in WCW, he only sort of kind of went down to Atlanta because that's where his uh, family were, I believe. So what would be the, apart from a payday, of course, what would be the interest for Bobby to be in arenas like, ECW really not have all the sort of expenses that uh, working for WF or WCW afforded him. I, I, I really doubt he would have ever actually shown up, even if um, Kahani would have got in his way and said, and John Collins agreed to it. I, I, I don't think Bobby would have done. No, I, I can't see Heenan. Heenan, if you listen to what he said about uh, his time in WCW, it was pretty much. Um, with regards to the professionalism, Vince shit all over these guys. Um, and given the stories that are coming from the MECW locker room, there's no way um, Heenan would would want to be involved with that mess just because, yeah, it's 
he, I think his time with WCW kind of put him off ever dealing with anyone who didn't know what they were doing. And, uh, I mean, that's not a bad thing. It, um, because if you know what, what you're doing, maybe you should take a seat and bring in someone who does. Um, but what do I know? Exactly, yeah, it's it's unlikely that we'll ever sort of hear from MECW again after this, but like I say, I will keep an eye out and see if, see if anything does materialise, but it's already looking sort of very, very sort of sketchy, despite how sort of reasonable this, this show was. I think, say, uh, aside from the matches I'm covering, I did sort of watch sort of parts of the rest of the show, and it, it, the crowd were into it, and it seemed like that there's definitely a, a want for the, for more shows in in Philadelphia. So I guess I think if they rather than this tour, these tours they're planning, maybe sticking to to Philadelphia might be the smart move. But but we shall see. Anyway, on to on to the first match, and I say I'll, I'll cover the. Uh, Listeners poll match first, which was uh, Buff Bagwell recently departed from his amazing run in the WWF of, or is it just the one match he he, he had in the end before getting his uh, mum to call in sick, and then yes. Jim Ross uh, simply saying, "Don't ever do that again. Please leave. <laughs> Get the fuck out." Basically. <laughs> it, it, Yes, ex- exactly. And that's uh, that's the fight with Shane Helms, wasn't it? Was it? Sorry, Adam. Uh, the the fight he had with Shane Helms, um, I think before that raw taping. Or uh, what about that? Yeah, he <laughs> made himself incredibly popular up in Stanford in the in the week he was there. <laughs> They should have signed Scotty Riggs instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But um, what we merely sort of really weeks removed from from Buff's departure and he's already on the indie scene, I, I guess whatever payoff or payout he got to, to leave very quickly from WF wasn't enough for him and he's already feeling the need to turn up shows like this. Um, anyway, before the match starts, um, I guess the match was really supposed to be Steve Carino versus uh, Buff Bagwell. Buff because Carino's in the ring uh, cutting, a, cutting a promo saying starts off by thanking the the uh, fans in attendance for their support for ACW up until the very end. And before Queen can continue, Bagel enters to a chorus of You Got Fired chants by the, the crowd in attendance, which is very much deserved and I very much enjoyed. Um, Queen then basically cuts a promo on Bagwell saying that in ECW EC, they got over by ability not being, by being uh, jacked up. So, yeah, I think that's not just a shot to Bagwell, but Bagwell's former tag partner, Mr. Luger, <laughs> amongst others in WCW who were, who were yeah, glorified sort of bodybuilders who didn't really do much else. 
but that's <laughs> that's for another time, I guess. Um, and that Steve Cronin continued saying that he was he was he could he was the one fighting Booker T, but unfortunately he's left with Bagwell, and Cronin feels he's too good, and he doesn't want to sell his reputation by facing Bagwell, so that's why Jack Weekly is going to take his place. Uh, Carino then sort of finishes his promo by simply asking Bagwell, where's your mum? Bagwell doesn't like this and uh, uh, floors Carino with a punch, but then victory and Carino uh, beat, beat Buff down and the match begins. Punches and kicks by, Jack, by uh, Jack in the corner before Buff reverses and hits a swing neck breaker and clothesline. And rather than doing his usual buff muscle pose, he simply uh, rates the crowd one out of one on his hand, as you can imagine. There we go. Buff has gone extreme. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, buff then hits rogue, but Carino grabs his ankle and uh, Jack hits a close one of his own. And before it's all said and done, the match is quickly over as Carino drops on the apron, ready with a handful of powder but Jack and Jack goes to whip Bagwell in to Carino. But unfortunately, it's reversed. Jack gets the face full of powder, blinded, walks into the double arm DDT, and Buff wins. Very short uh, match. I think I not to, not to the same extent as um, the Reservoir Dogs promo earlier, but I very much sort of enjoyed the promo more than the match. And um, this simply was, I think, it's a, a simple payday for Buff. He, he saw John Collins offering, as you say, possibly sort of fifteen hundred, maybe even more, as a just just to turn up, work five minutes and, and leave. And that's kind of what Bagwell did. Um, it was it was fine for I guess for that sort of short. Segment. Nothing was sort of fluff, but then it didn't really last long enough for things to get fluffed up. Anyway, and it was like always fun to see uh, Bag uh, Bagel get uh, shit on by both Carino and the crowd. Yeah, we've got to say thanks to the listeners for picking this because um, I didn't really want to watch the other two matches, and uh, <laughs> the, the promo really sort of saved this. To be fair, <laughs> at the beginning, Steve was. You know, on point, he just sort of tore into Bagwell. Bagwell had a good comeback, though, didn't he? You know, he he sort of held his own there on the mic. Um, anyway, the match itself, it was short and sweet. You can tell it was, well, I'm using air quotations taped for TV here. But, yeah, no, it was a, they, they run through everything pretty quickly, and it was a, a solid sort of out in... It was better than Buff's match against Booker T. That's for damn sure. So, <laughs> there's that, I suppose. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Do we know the reason why Carino wasn't on the card? I, I honestly don't know. No, I, 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 I don't know. There is actually a reason. I was just wondering if, if I, you've come across it. Um, I, it actually, it's something we actually touched on, interestingly, on the last episode. Basically, uh, Greener was actually getting a bit of flack at this point because he was prepared to, um, 
you know, because he wasn't just winning every match as the NWA champion. And Bagwell wasn't going to do the job here. There's no way that you were going to get Bagwell to job. Ah, right. That, that so, makes sense. So basically, Carino had to pull out because um, just just to save getting any more heat from the NWA guys. Because, um, uh, yeah, because they were looking to get the NWA title on, on this card. But basically, NWA directors like, you're... You're jobbing too much. You're you're not winning all your matches. We need you to be a strong champion for us. Because <laughs> obviously the NWA at this point they're not exactly at their at their zenith. Carino is has a bit of name value to him. They can't just have him. Um, even drawing with Sabu, I think, caught him quite a bit of flack. Um, so yeah, that's that's the reason why he's here. And that, um, and I, yeah, apparently the the heat that Bagwell was getting at this show was so bad, he, he was gone by intermission. Um, because this was only about, I think, the fourth match on the card or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, surprised, I'm surprised he even stayed around that long. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a, if you, you, you said there, he was basically dropped off in a, in a limo out at sort of five minutes before his match. Had the match, then went straight back in. Didn't even shower. Went straight back to the hotel, or or even airport, because yeah, he didn't seem like he was he was there for um, anything looked much than more than the the payday he was promised. Mm. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean the match itself's not anything really, but I mean there was a reason that. I because I, I mentioned this uh, when Lacey was on last month. This is, I was sort of, I was pushing this what this match in particular just because um, I I saw it's just a promo which battle between him and Carino in front of those fans. I was just like this this needs to be discussed just because it's you know I recently fired Buff Bagwell in front of essentially an ECW crowd. So, yeah, we, we, I don't know how many moments we're going to capture like that um, on on this show, but I figured this one should we should you know make mention of. Uh, <coughs> I was going somewhere with that, but um, just gone. But yeah, I, I guess as, as you say, it's the. It's a sort of doubly weird one with Bagwell because it's not a case of a WCW talent that wasn't picked up. He was picked up and very soon he dropped. So I, I think as we get further on to the year, we'll probably be see, seeing more of those guys that um, initially sort of were part of the, the WCW deal that uh, WF did, who then just don't get put on TV or don't even get sent down to the development. Or they eventually sort of start showing up here, there, and everywhere, in random places like the ECW arena and such going forward. So, yeah, um, something to look out for, I guess. But, yeah, I, I picked this one uh, for that sort of oddity value of someone who was very much, who was very, very, very recently on WF TV. All of a sudden, he's now working... Uh, 
a random sort of paper, um, promotion, indie promoter. It makes you wonder what the WCW contracts are in the WWF at the minute, given that a standard WWF contract is what, like 90 day con- uh, no compete clause? Um, you know, yet he, Bagwell is what, like 30 odd days later? It was, I was going to say, you figure it's probably 30 at best, and. I mean, I, this was pro- this show, as you sort of say, as you mentioned, was sort of taped, but I guess it wasn't a, a live pay per view, so I, there's probably enough of a loophole, or WF probably just don't care because it's bad. Well, he was barely on their TV, so they're not too bothered about what he does or where he goes. The fact that they didn't, WF haven't probably copyrighted his name or taken his name, so he's allowed to, so or maybe. Uh, Buff Bagel is something he can own and use, so he's able to be promoted as such. Not that this show is really promoted at all. But, um, it, yeah. Out and out fired, though. I don't think anyone would, would be bothered by Bagel turning up anywhere, even if it was the day after. But he was out and out fired, so I don't think they had um, the 90 days back then, so... He could probably just go and work somewhere else, couldn't he? It's very possible. Yeah, if his, if his contract was cancelled, just sort of torn up, then yeah, there's yeah. probably no sort of no compete or all of that was waived or whatever. And historically, there's always been a night day compete. You look at like when Ric Flair left in 1993, he he had a no compete clause, which is why the first couple of months on WCW he was only doing the Flair for the gold segment. He wasn't doing any matches because he still under the open people's, but it's a sign that these WCW contracts aren't, at least as of last month, don't have a lot of weight behind them if they're just prepared to let someone go straight onto a potentially other TV show. Um, Fresh from their TV, that's um, the only times that that happened in the past is when contracts expired with like um, the biggest example, of course, being someone like uh, Razor and Diesel, where they were on Nitro following a couple of weeks just because they, they didn't have a contract, so therefore they didn't have no compete clause. But yeah, these WCW contracts that uh, the WWF have offered up at the minute, I mean, if, if you see guys from the WCW factions or really busting their ass, it's, be, it's because they want a proper Titan contract as opposed to whatever Bagwell was on. Yeah, it's, I mean, it could be some sort of probationary thing that they're on, on some sort of very short-term deal yeah. for six months or so, three to six months or so, or even as low as a per-performance, per-appearance type um, contract. And then only in the next, what, in the next sort of few months or so are those contracts then going to be shored up and sort of longer term because... They probably don't know what to do with all the all the talent they've acquired. So why would you risk putting, um, putting them on two three year deals when you don't know where they're gonna what you're gonna do with them? So it could be a case of short term deals. And they probably any sort of no compete clauses are minimal at best because yes, as I say, W probably don't 
really care about many of them. Okay, um, continuing um, on the uh, inaugural MECW show, I, my next pick is the uh, MECW World Heavyweight Title match between uh, Kurt Hennig and Chris Harris. So this is the, the young Chris Harris, uh, he of America's Most Wanted fame, you see in TNA in the next few years, also of uh, Braden Walker infamy, I guess, rather than fame. But that's another show for another time in the future, I guess. We shall see if we do a WWE ECW show in the future. We might be, we may very well do. Some of us are gluttons for punishment after all. Anyway, on on to the match, and uh, Hennig starts with a, a quick slap to the back of Harris's head, just the introductions finished, and then into uh, a Cornell trial, which Harris actually comes out on top to a chorus of boos. You can tell that, unsurprisingly, Kurt Hennig, the massive uh, favourite amongst the, amongst the fans here. Side head lock and hip toss by Harris, and sending... Uh, Hennig going to the outside and despite this offence uh, Harris is subjected to a Euro Jogger chant from the from the fans here I, I guess they can probably see the, the writing on the wall for how this is going to go that said a crossbody and sunset flip uh, both get two counts for Harris but then uh, Hennig quickly jumps up and hits a close line to Thor, Chris Harris, as the camera then cuts to Francine, who has been sort of talent scouting throughout the show, because I did briefly sort of uh, see her in other matches uh, through the, through this uh, show, so I guess maybe they were starting uh, some sort of story where Francine's trying to find her new franchise, maybe? I don't know, but I could, I, I'd say if we see anything more from MECW, I will try and find that out for you. A couple of kicks uh, to a down Harris by Henning as the match continues, and that sends him outside briefly. Uh, back in the ring, uh, Henning grabs Harris and uh, does the neck twist sort of in the uh, pile driver setup stance, and then yeah, twist his hips to sort of crank the neck of Harris. More tops and more tops in the corner. Over to, uh, to another corner, and Harris gets a bit of offense, throw, exchanging punches with Henny as a Mr. Perfect chant, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, rings out from the fans. Henny then uh, blocks an attack from Harris in the corner. Does a quick double leg takedown and a slingshot into the turnbuckle, which then, as Harris turns around, he's caught with the perfect flex and Hennig retains the title. I thought this was a, a fun match, fun short, short match. Got to see uh, Mr. Perfect, who, who is yeah massively over with the crowd as you'd expect him to be. Um, got a few of his sort of 
classic uh, Henning spots in with the the, the, um, the snapmare spot and then the the pex itself. And um, yeah, uh, Chris has I think got uh, got given a, a decent amount of offense to start off start off with. Nice to sort of see that uh, Kurt Hennig doing the sort of veteran thing of at least giving the the rookies something to work with before then uh, ultimately coming out on top. Uh, a quick note is how is Kurt Hennig already the world heavyweight champion if this was supposed to be the first show? I don't know, but there we go. Uh, guys, your thoughts on? On this sort of quick, but um, as I say, for me, exciting match. Yeah, perfect scene. Perfectly over, which was really not quite shocking. Really, ECW crowd, really, uh, the, the you know, the crowd that were there, let's not say they were predominantly all ECW. The Porters were really behind him. And, you know, Chris Harris didn't look out of place. Um, from my research, I found out these two had had a match on Worldwide the previous year and lo and behold it was very very similar which doesn't surprise me um it was again if it's a tv match then hell yeah you know they did really well it was it was pretty tight it was it was good good stuff from both of them i've got no complaints about what happened here The, the crowd was totally invested so yeah it was it was another Pretty solid match on this really weird show. Yeah, my first thought was, um, how did they decide who that Ken, the heading was champion? That was seemed to come out of nowhere, but yeah, I mean, the match was um, pretty great. Um, it's Weird how when you talk about America's Most Wanted, you actually look like around this time and around like the early TNA pay-per-views when this sort of coming together. Um, both are a lot skinnier than they would wind up being, but only one of them would look better for it um, in the years later. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, the match itself, Kenning was. Uh, He's really looking good at the minute. He's, I know the guys on the main show bragged on him, uh, some of his WCW work, but I think the last couple of years he's really come back to um, possibly not quite Mr. Perfect, Joe, but he's definitely heading in that direction. There is a definite upswing in his, his work in the last sort of year or two. And uh, hey, a long way to continue because... I love Mr. Perfects. Um, the matches he had with Brett, you know, the SummerSlam match and the King of the Ring match, uh, really examples of just, you know, what this guy can do. And, and if he can produce more matches like that, especially uh, on the indie scene, that's great because it means I get to cover them. Um, yeah, Harris looked really good here. Um, I get the feeling the crowd just didn't buy him as a as a world as a world championship contender, which um, is fair because, like Billy just said, the last time he was in the ring with someone the caliber of Mr. Perfect was when he was in the ring with Mr. Perfect a year ago. <laughs> and I job. Um, but still, Chris, Chris Harris he, he showed potential here, and 
built right, he could actually be um, a breakout star for MECW if they keep going, which um, is uh, dicey at best, given don't know if all the talent got paid for this show. Quickly, just a um, bit of armchair booking jumped into my head, so please entertain this idea if, if, if you don't mind. Um, mentioned that Bagwell wasn't going to ever do the job at all, that's why he, he wins and that's why Queen was in the match, but what if you had Bagwell versus Hennig? Would Bagwell would probably be okay losing that and, and Hennig winning, and that seems more of a, if you have a World Heavyweight title match, having two sort of big names have that in that match, then if you wanted to still use Harris, you could then have him face Jack Briggs. Have Queen be the heel and say, I, I don't want to, I don't see the point in wrestling someone who nobody knows like Harris. Still have almost have the same sort of uh, way the match ends with the um, powder spot um, going awry and then Harris upsetting Jack Victory. That way you do sort of make him a bit of a more of a, a household name. And get him, get him over with the fans, maybe. If you, if you're going to build him to be the, the star, I'm just, I'll say, just a, a quick idea that just popped into my head there. That's yeah, that sounds like something you can build on. Yeah, um, yeah, d- done right. That could, uh, yeah, that that could sort of do something for Harris and Bagwell versus Kurt Henning would be a match of at least star quality. If not the little snowflakes given out in the Observer, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I, I think, like I said, Bagwell was penciled in for the NWA title match, which is why, which is possibly why they didn't go that kind of direction anyway. Um, had they known that the NWA sort of informed them probably beforehand, they probably. Yeah, would have gone. The, they probably would have gone the, the Bagwell Henning group just because. Yeah, it, it does on paper make more sense because. Uh, yeah, Chris Harris is an unknown commo- commodity even to these fans who majority are uh, probably well informed of you know a lot of what's going on on you know like the underground scene. The only excuse I could really give the promoter why he wouldn't want to do that is maybe he's saving Buff Bagwell versus Kurt Henning to be in front of a crowd that would actually pay to see it. Possibly. Yeah, that would be possibly the reason, but maybe I'm giving John Collins a bit too much credit there. Yeah, I I, I can't see him with the uh, Chris Christie-esque year-long storyboards quite. I, I, I remember seeing him as a... Uh, wake up and oh, this is the booking for today type guy. <laughs> yeah, he's it's there's certainly something to, to think about. I think you've overthought a situation that they didn't think about, Dan. So oh, oh no, possibly yeah, but this is this is us with twenty years of of, of hindsight and and just yeah. Look, a card and thinking, oh, could you have done this, this, and this instead? But, yeah, um, good point, yeah. But yeah, like I say, it was, it was just an idea that, yeah, 
maybe 20 years ago, I I should have been in. No, that would have been weird because I'd have only been 16. And um, minors in wrestling is just a thing no one needs to to, to ever think about. <laughs> <laughs> and on a very sour note, I I shall hand back to to Billy. <laughs> okay, right. Let's um jump in the car and let's uh, head off to Cincinnati, Ohio because we're about to uh, ascend on the fourth annual Brian Pillman Memorial Show. So I believe it would be over to you, Adam. Yeah, um, I mean, this is a month for Memorial Shows, because uh, Terry Gordy uh, of the Fabulous Freebirds fame also uh, passed away last month, also had a Memorial Show this month. But unfortunately, uh, there doesn't appear to be any any footage. Which is, James is great. Sort of old, the small school names like someone like the NWA fans uh, would know. You've got uh, Jimmy Golden, Bobby Eaton. Um, uh, you've got uh, the Bullet Bob and Scott Armstrong. Uh, and the main event is uh, saw Michael P.S. Hayes come out of retirement, team with uh, Ray Gordy, uh, Terry Suns taking on Tony Anthony and Nightmare Ken Wayne in what may be the most relevant match of Ray Gordy's career. Uh, no offence to Slam Master Jay, but let's be honest, um, no one was going from, no one was wanting to see a massive singles run after your investors broke up. Um, but yes, Bobby, um, we're moving away from from that. The uh, Brian Pillman Morris show, or it was a, Double shot, really, because you had uh, the afternoon show. Uh, I mean, they, they saved all the name talents for the evening show, where you had uh, so it started off with uh, Terry Taylor defeating Bobby Eaton with Ricky Steamboat as a guest referee. Uh, you had a Carino NWA title match in which he faced Flair, albeit the wrong one. Um, <laughs> the last time a Flair goes for an NWA title, it's David fucking Flair. Um, I'm almost surprised that uh, Mr. DeWitt over there didn't force this one on us, given uh, you know his, his love of matches of a certain quality. Um, yeah. Even I wouldn't go down the David Flair route. <laughs> but yes, no, uh, three and being, being brutally honest, I, I wouldn't touch anything with the, with the name Flair in regardless of the first name. <laughs> but yes, like Carino did uh, beat him straight up because um, he's not Buff Bagwell or Sabu. Um, uh, following that, Mark Henry defeated Hugh Morris. Uh, we saw Lita do, uh, defeat a young rookie by the name of Victoria, who uh, would come to prominence in the next couple of years over in the Fed. Um, Devin Craig just defeated Chris Candido. Uh, in the semi-main, uh, saw the radicals of Perry Satin and Dean Malenko defeating, uh, ECW and w- uh, ECW stars Raven and Just Incredible. And afterwards, Dean Malenko cut a short promo where, uh, he basically said he loved the fans, he loved doing this. Uh, and it, he, it sounded kind of like a retirement speech without him actually saying that word, those words, but, uh, Les Thatcher got the crowd chanting for him as he sort of walked down the aisleway. And as we now know, they, uh, he only had one further match after this against a student of his named Chad Collier. And that was happening in December. 
Uh, maybe I might cover it for the podcast if I can get hold of it, but um, Heartland Wrestling stuff is it's not the easiest to track down. Uh, in the main event, we've had the last ever appearance of Edge outside of a WWF ring. Uh, when he and Christian went up against DDP and Canyon uh, and the Hardy Boys, which uh, the Hardy Boys won. But, I mean, you, uh, even with that stacked card, which if we ever do commentaries again, um, I feel us guys, we should cover this card just just on that star power alone. Um, but we're here to talk about the afternoon show, uh, which featured the aforementioned Chad Collier. There was also, uh, kicked off by Nigel McGuinness taking on, uh, the machine, who would later become known as Doug Basham. Uh, you had the Hass brothers, uh, Charlie and Russ, uh, two or three months before Russ sadly passed away due to heart problems. Uh, you had uh, Nick Dinsmore winning the H, uh, HWA title. You had the HWA Cruiserweight title featuring Shark Boy. Who doesn't love Shark Boy? Uh, where, <laughs> uh, where Matt Stryker won, not the Matt Stryker you're thinking of. Um, it's unibrow Matt Stryker. That's how I remember that Matt Stryker. Yeah, it's, it's the unibrow Matt Stryker who won his... Uh, on the HWA Cruiserweight title on this, on this show, but uh, amongst that and all the other goings on, the, the match we're covering is uh, second time only. It happened previously on an OVW episode back in June. Uh, I mean, we probably would have covered it, but you know, we had we had bigger fish to fry in uh, Barbarian and uh, Tony Atlas. Yeah, there's only so much. There's only so much room on on a card, so we are actually going uh, where we're and we're seeing a young Randall Orton taking on a young chap by the name of Prototype. Uh, <coughs> and uh, Prototype is out first. Unlike all the results, uh, his name plate just says Prototype, no the, kind of like how the the Ramones or the Eagles. You read their album titles, have the same thing going on. So John Cena, sorry, prototype that does some roles, which actually seems really odd to see him do, despite him, you know, showing off uh, a lot more athleticism in his bigger matches. So Orton comes out next to Prodigy because this is wrestling and subtlety only goes so far. So they start by circling each other. Uh, a lock-up leads to Orton applying a hammerlock, but Prototype turns that into a headlock. That's then reversed into a headlock takeover. But Prototype gets out with a head scissors before slapping on a wrist lock. Orton reverses into the armbar. This is taken down with an ankle pick. Yes, I'm still doing play-by-play for an Orton Cena match. <laughs> uh, so we've got Les Thatcher doing uh, commentary 20, uh, as a 20-year review and... He points out that they're working this style because they've yet to stumble on the, the WWE main event style that that will ultimately make them the big draws that they are today. Uh, Prototype has a headlock on, but Orson works back to his feet and turns it into a headlock of his own before spinning around and taking Prototype down and locking on a front face lock. Uh, Prototype slips out into a hammerlock with that first. Cena gets in the... Sorry, Prototype gets in the wrist lock. But Orson backs him into the corner, which causes a break as 
Uh, awesome backs up prototype, grabs a wrist lock, awesome reverses and slams prototype to the ground. Uh, prototype reverses and trips awesome for the first pin attempt of the match. Awesome gets on a leg lock, but prototype rolls out prototype off outside hand, but as awesome reaches out, he gets slapped with the other one. He then retaliates and kind starts to fire up with a big back drop, uh, body drop and that sweet looking drop kick that causes prototype to powder out. Awesome follows him out and not with a dive because he was trained correctly. Um, but a whip gets reversed and he hits the guardrail. Prototype starts to work him over and rolls awesome back in and starts laying those kicks in. Uh, the clothesline gets a couple of twos on awesome. Bulldog gets another two, but awesome starts to fight back. Awesome ducks a clothesline, but takes really janky looking DDT. Maybe the first example of Cena's inability to hit convincing, uh, big move. In a finishing situation. Uh, Frog Splash misses and Orson uh, and Cena are both trying to beat the count up. Randy shows some fire with his punches and nails a flapjack for two. Orton signals for something but prototype reverses to a full Nelson into a dodgy looking roll up. Uh, inside Cradle barely gets Orson one. Orson reverses out of the prototype bomb and nails a nice looking full Nelson slam for the win. Prototype looks like he's about to pitch a fit as the camera fades out. So, like I said, this is, um, I believe it's only the second time these guys faced, uh, Orson took on John Cena, building up to him facing, uh, Rico at the last dance, which, uh, we did mention a couple of months ago. A big uh, show at the, uh, Kentucky Gardens, which was like the last wrestling show after 31 straight years there. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, this is, Considering that this match is going to get covered probably hundreds of times on the main show over the coming years, uh, we're doing it first, and what we're doing is considerably <laughs> different to what I think everyone else is going to be covering come uh, 2005, 2006, uh, 2009, 2014. You get the picture. Uh, what do you, so uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this? So, personally, at least it isn't a one-hour Iron Man match where <laughs> one of them gets blown up. So, at least that didn't happen. Um, what, what do I say? They, they, I don't want to use the word green, but they weren't... I suppose it's in an, in an independent level, and, you know, this is going on to a DVD, VHS, whatever you want to at this point. And obviously it's just for the live crowd. So it's, it's, it wasn't too bad, but it was a bit rough around the edges. Uh, but you can see that there's certainly something there with both of them. Like there was a lot of fire in prototypes, prototypes, uh, eyes. So that, that's a good thing. It's good at firing up and coming back. And, uh, Randy played the, obviously the convincing hill and. Yeah, it, it, like you say, Adam, they're going to cover it hundreds of times on the main podcast, and we're sort of the first ones to delve into it. We've seen it here, and um, I, I've seen one John Cena Randy Orton match. You've seen them all, but this was just completely different. And if you ever have ten minutes of your life spare, just go out your way to go and watch it because it's not terrible, but it's not great either. 
Yeah, th- this wasn't a quote unquote John Cena versus Randy Orton match in the in the style that we we've been used to over the past uh, yeah, fifteen plus years. This this was a, a match of where yeah two young up and coming uh, wrestlers sort of going not going through as much as but sort of going through their repertoires and sort of showing what they can can do. To, to some to some effect, and um, yeah, it was it kind of ticked that box really. They were on the they were put on the show to, to show what they can do, and they showed what they could do at that time. Um, yeah, uh, I I liked it, um, and it's, it's easy to say knowing what we know about the, the two that yeah, you could see sort of the early sort of startings of, of why they became um the stars they were because they they sort of were fundamentally sort of sound in, in the ring. But um I think if if this actually was sort of twenty years ago and we and we we're watching this match for the, not knowing any how the future would, would pan out, you'd probably sort of say, Yeah, these are these are probably decent. You can see them sort of doing doing sort of well enough in wherever they they end up. Obviously, you'd never know that they'd become the stars that they were, especially, especially John Cena. But, but yeah, this was fine. And so, if for the completionists out there, if you have seen every John Cena versus Randy Orton match, I doubt you've seen this one. So yeah, <laughs> go go and go and watch this, and yeah, compare it to how how it goes in the future for them, because yeah, it's definitely different. Yeah, I mean, I think it is fair to say that they're quite green. Yeah, I think Orton, uh, I'm not sure. I've done, I think they're both only like two or three years into their career. So it's fair to call them green, but it's, you look at some of the stuff they're doing, it's tight in there. They're not, they are kind of, they are, I mean, I've, I've, if I ever do stuff on the, main show in the future I'll probably go into this more but there are just certain things that Cena does that he because he doesn't have to do them because of why the level he is at you think he can't it's very much um, a great example is Hulk Hogan in Japan versus Hulk Hogan in the WWF it's yes agreed it's very much that um but here they show they're quite tight. I mean, okay, I mentioned the DDT look janky, but that didn't stop him using the uh, STF for, for however many years, and that looked horrible. Um, and of course, you know, you have the attitude adjustment, or as I like to call it, the VHS, because it's not quite as high quality as a DVD. Um, <laughs> hey. Uh, but yeah, but the fundamentals are, are certainly there. Um, I mean, they really do. Well, I mean, the, the trouble is they're they're also in a really talented class because, like I said, the, the match starts off with Nigel McGuinness and Doug Basham, who who were well. Nigel was one of the best guys that HWA had. Uh, Doug was probably at that point was one of the best guys OVW having, so those two going together was, uh, was a great way to start this show. I just, uh, 
you sort of look at um I I've mentioned it on the uh, 20YRS Facebook page uh, when I posted about this show. The amount of all the promotions that came together too is it's a shame that this would end up being the last one. Which is weird because um, at the start of the evening show they actually bring out William Regal who was on wrestling on the show. They kind of made him sort of honorary commissioner. He sort of said about how you know he loved the show and he would do everyone. Um, until the end of time and the one he's not wrestling on is the last one. It's, it's very, uh, prophetic. It's a shame. Um, but also from what we've learned about what happened from the monies these shows made, it's, it might actually be for the best that they didn't keep going. Um, at least going from the interviews with Brian Pillman Jr. with regards to to the, where the profits from these shows went. But yeah, I mean, the, the Orson's seen a match, um, and fit right in where it was on a show like this. Um, and, you know, the, as they sort of learned and adapted their styles, they, you know, were moved to where those styles fit in. It's just, uh, it was really, it's just a natural evolution when you think about it. Okay, so uh, let's get to the main event, shall we, lads? And uh, it's time to to get on an aeroplane yet again, and uh, you can tell I booked this show because we're off to Tokyo, Japan. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, 2001 G1 Climax Tournament. Uh, This year it's uh, over two blocks, 12-man round-robin tournament, which would be held from August 4th to August 12th. And it was returning to its uh, original setting. Uh, the winner of Block A was uh, Yuji Nagata. And the uh, winner of Block B was Keiji Mutu. And um, they would meet in the final of, the, of this tournament. Uh, it was notable for the semi-finals. Um, where Mr. August, uh, Masahiro Chono, who... Listeners of the other, the, the main show will remember him from NWO Japan. That he, great faction from back in the day. <laughs> he would, um, go down to, um, Yuji Nagata in the semi-finals and, um, Yuji would, uh, go through to face, um, Muta here. Um, the attendance wise, the shows did okay, but like I said, like TV viewership was really, really good, um, especially for this final match, um, which I, I, I shall get into now. Um, so both men circle one another and lock up, but Yuji goes for a leg lock, but Muta catches his legs and drops Yuji, Yuji onto his belly. Both men lock up again. Yuji does a go behind and takes Muta down, but he wiggles free. Both men get a polite applause from the crowd. They're in Japan, you can tell that already. Back into a lockup, both men go back and forth. Muta picks Yuji's leg and takes him down, but Yuji counters it with a leg. Grapevine. Both men counter each other's holds and go back to the lockup. Yuji takes down Muta and is able to get onto his back in an amateur, re- amateur wrestling position. Yuji goes to apply a rear naked choke, but Muta rolls out of it and onto his belly. 
Yuji transitions the hold into an armbar. But Muta counters it into one of his own, but Yuji battles back, uh, being able to transition the hold into one of his own armbars. But again, Muta counters and fully extends the arm this time. So you can tell that these two have certainly been influenced by MMA at this point. Yuji cries out in pain, but reaches the ropes with his foot. And uh, as they say in Japan, this is basically Naokiism. There's certainly more of that to follow. Um, Muta traps Yuji in a guard, which is again another MMA hold. Uh, and applies front face slot, then applies the front face slot. Muta uses his body weight to roll over into the ropes, forcing Yuji to break the hold. Muta rolls to the outside. When he returns, Yuji applies the standing front face lock this time. Muta counters it with a kick, but drops Yuji. But drops Yuji then, uh, but drops Yuji, uh, with a kick, sorry. Then Muta hits the ropes and drops an elbow smash onto Yuji Nagata. Muta goes back to the armbar, but can't fully extend the arm this time. So he applies the head scissors. Yuji counters, but Muta pulls guard. Uh, Yuji is able to get on top of Muta and begins to rain knees down onto Muta, but Muta breaks free. Muta battles back with a slap and a shoulder block, then whips Yuji into the uh, into the corner. I had to go and lose my place, didn't I? This, this is where... Sorry, lads. Then goes for a handspring elbow, but Yuji counters him, uh, catches him, sorry, and takes him down. Yuji goes for a crossface and locks it in deep as the crowd chant for Nagata. Muta eventually moves his body to the ropes to break the hold. Yuji begins to zero in on uh, Muta's bad knee which we talked about on the previous show with um, Dr. Death Steve Williams doing the same thing. Muta catches um, one of Yuji's leg kicks. Uh, Muta again makes it to the ropes to break the hold. Yuji and Muta exchange kicks and knee strikes, but Muta takes down Yuji Nagata with a drop kick to the knee in a face. Yuji holds his knee, so Muta nails him with a dragon screw leg whip and applies a knee bar, but Nagata counters it into one of his own. Both men roll towards the ropes to break the hold to a polite applause. Muta goes up top and nails Yuji with a drop kick to the knee and another dragon screw leg whip. Muta then applies a figure four leg lock, but after what seems like a lifetime of hurt for Nagata, Yuji finally reaches the ropes. Muta then drop kicks Nagata in the face and another dragon screw leg whip. Muta goes for another figure four, but Nagata counters it with a knee bar and then applies an ankle lock. Muta now rides about in pain and eventually reaches the ropes. Both men are spent as they head into the home straight. Uh, Nagata nails Muta with some kicks, then bounces off the ropes, but Muta pops up with a Hunakan Rana. Muta goes for another armbar, but Nagata counters with a knee bar. 
as uh, Muta rides about in pain and the crowd are at a fever pitch at this point. Muta somehow rolls onto his stomach and reaches the rope. Muta pulls himself up in the corner and Nagata charges at him with a wheel kick, but the move only just gets avoided by a charging Nagata. Muta sets up Nagata on the top rope and nails him with a Hunican Rana for a near fall and then follows it up with a Moonsoul for a yet another near fall. Muta goes for the arm and applies another fully extended armbar, but Yuji's feet are too close to the bottom rope and he's able to, which obviously is forces the hold to be broken. Muta goes for a Shining Wizard, but Nagata moves out of the way and nails Muta with a go-behind and a German release suplex. Uh, Nagata signals for it to be over and nails Muta with another release German suplex, but Muta pops right back up and nails Nagata with a Shining Wizard. The crowd is on the edge of their seat in the sumo hall, chanting both men's names at this point. Both men exchange spinning wheel kicks, then Muta goes for another Shining Wizard, but Nagata counters it and applies another crossface, and this time Muta, the All Japan Triple Crown champion, is forced to submit to the delight of the crowd and the commentary team. Well, I think you know I'm going to say it. It was a great match. It was um, very simply laid out, and uh, the crowd was definitely on the edge of their seat for all of this. Um, it's it's weird to watch this New Japan style because it's completely different to the All Japan style. It's definitely more inspired by MMA. Uh, you can definitely tell this come across more as a worked MMA style match. Uh, they definitely did a really good job here. I really enjoyed this. You know, it got a lot of snowflakes, which is no shocker there. No shocker there whatsoever. Yes, they didn't do much, but what they did do, they did very, very well. And it was odd to see Muta back in New Japan after only leaving a few months previous. But the crowd were very accepting of him here. He did a wonderful job of putting over the new man in Yuji Nagata, who will carry New Japan into basically the next millennium. And uh, so, Dan, what did you think of this? Uh, you know, you're not much of a uh, Japan guy so what did you think of this match it was exactly my my only experience of japan is sort of in the last sort of couple of years sort of on, on and off and then that with the the benefit of the um uh english commentary so this is one of the very few matches i've seen sort of uh from uh new japan with, with from that time period and with the yeah, japanese commentary so it's one side i had sort of pay a bit more attention to than I probably would normally having not having the commentary sort of to, to guide me through and sort of and and whatnot. So uh yeah. Um really really enjoyable. Um hard hitting, nice sort of as you said, the, the MMA style, which I know um some people aren't a, a, a fan of, but I quite like it. I quite like the that's that sort of style of the, the more sort of grappling style rather than the the kind of almost sort of modern uh, New Japan style of just punching each other in the head as hard as we possibly can. This seems to be a bit more re- refined than that. If that makes any if it makes any sense. But yeah, I, I really I really enjoyed it and interesting to sort of see people I 
I've heard of and um, and some of them like, they're still sort of going up until sort of quite quite recently if, if they're not or still having matches to this day. I like I say I don't follow it that that much now. But um but yeah, um just a, thoroughly enjoyable um and we are hopefully uh, we can go to uh yeah, go to Japan again um sometime soon and and see, and see more. So yeah always interesting to learn about uh the indies as I, as I said at the start of this this project. And um yeah, th- thanks for thanks for bringing this to to my attention. Very very enjoyable indeed. Um, yeah, I think the last couple of shows where we've done the Japanese stuff is great because you look at 2001 as a year, there were, you ask most wrestling pundits who the best worker was and two names come up. One is, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin who, whatever you make of the heel turn, the work he's producing, while it's being seen by less people, is is possibly some of the best of his career. The um, SummerSlam match that happened this month with a Kurt Angle is um, may actually be one of his best matches ever. And just some of the stuff he's doing as the leader of the Alliance, he's, he's like I said, arguably one of the best in the world right now. But on the other side, the other name a lot of wrestling pundits will throw out there is uh, mm-hmm. the Great Muta, which um, is really shocking as someone who, prior to last month, uh, the only thing I'd, the only thing I'd seen from him was uh, the WCW run, <laughs> thousands. Um, I think I said the same thing last month, but it's really yeah. scary that uh, it's the same guy in there because it just seems ah, uh, it's he just seems to be carrying himself better. He he knows the level of star he is, and you feel it with everything he's doing in these matches. Um, uh, one thing that really made me stand up was uh, the, he did the dragon screw into the figure four, only yeah. he switched because anyone who knows how the figure four works, it's not yeah. the leg going across that hurts, it's the leg that's straight because it's being hyper-extended by the weight of your opponent and your own leg going on top of it, and no one picks it up anymore. So mm-hmm. it just it was such a refreshing sight to see someone who actually knows how it works. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, I, I was, I'm not a big Jap, uh, Japan guy just, uh, in in most aspects of their culture, but um, this match really did draw me in. Um, you know, I was, when I saw the running order, and I was like, well, you've got two matches that quite heavily rely on technical ability following each other, but you actually watch them and they are just two completely different matches. Um, you, um, nothing against the uh, Orson and Cena, but 
obviously this match, uh, the guys were considerably more po- polished. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, we say looking great here. Um, we're looking, you know, as, because we weren't sure um, at the start of this project but how much Japan stuff we're going to do. I was like, the only chance we've got to cover Musa is um, probably the the uh, incident in the UK in a couple of oh years. Oh, my which, God, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that nothing, nothing against the match with uh, Danny Birch there, but uh, the, all the stuff that led to that is, um, it is going to make some... Uh, for an interesting conversation, but yeah, I'm glad we get start, we're sort of getting to see him in, especially in this environment, which is you know the, the environment that he thrives in. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, it, I did pop huge when when he submitted because I was like, I did not see the New Japan guy in the New Japan tournament submitting to the other guy that. That caught me off guard. Um, and uh, I think, I don't know, I can't have been the only one who, who felt that way. But um, I'm sure half the crowd felt felt that way. I, I think it's new, uh, Eugene Nagata, he's, he's a great talent. Um, but I just didn't see Musa giving up, especially, um, you know, especially being on the in ring role he's, he's been on at this point. Yeah, the matches. Got to remember, uh, Adam. He's like a moot has gone to um, as a full time in all Japan, so it we yeah, could have possibly gone the route of having Muta win it, but then he might not come back to do the honors to the IWGP champion in January at the Dome. So I can sort of see why they went the direction that they went in. I think I think they did go the, the right direction uh, with right. having you put the other guy over because um, yeah I've um, I mean I, I'm not a, like I said I, I don't really have a I don't really follow Japanese stuff at all really so uh, this match yeah is brilliant match uh, I can um, and it really did have a feel of, of spectacle that you don't a lot of these matches we we have as while they try and present themselves as as big situations, they don't seem to capture that spectacle. Uh, it may it might be just a Japanese thing because um, I mean even a lot of the WWF shows outside of uh, the, the decent manias uh, they don't always capture you know that that level of spectacle, but it, but it certainly was prevalent here. Um, so yeah, it was great effort um, between the two guys, and yeah, it, this is one of the matches you, you need to sort of track down, and have a look at, just because it's you can sort of see where like uh, the Japanese are sort of have like an MMA stuff, and it's um, and it m- makes a lot of their stuff sort of solid. You can't poke holes in in a lot of what they were doing here, and. Um, a lot of the stuff that we cover on this, on this show, I don't think you can say that for. So yeah, this is a, a great choice, um, especially to 
to balance out the XPW stuff. <laughs> well, I had to give you something bad, so I, I sort of gave you something good as well to 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 take home, lads. But um, uh, we've reached the end of our, our tour of the Indies for another month. It's August in the books. September is up next. Uh, so we might as well do the plugging. Um, Dan, tell the fine people where they can find you. Uh, me, I'm on uh, Twitter uh, at Daniel S. DeWitt. Um, and I don't really post too much, just use uh, just occasional wrestling opinion, maybe a little bit about the well, of the, the 80s and 90s, but of all. And uh, yeah, yeah so, um, looking forward to, to being back with you in the next. Uh, couple of, a few weeks with our, our September show. Let's see um, how far around the world we can go this time. Thank you, Dan, for joining us today. And uh, Adam, tell the people where they can find you as well, sir. Um, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm all over the uh, 20YRS Facebook page. Um, it, most of the updates are done by myself at the minute. Um, if you want to see me talk about things other than wrestling i do have uh a twitter account uh, el underscore j um i also have a facebook page you can like uh each use usually it's i use it to promote all my comedy materials but at the minute i've got nothing going on but if you want a, a nice funny meme to start your week off with uh i do start the week with a smile memes monday every monday at eight o'clock just to give you something uh, to Try and take the edge off that Monday blues at uh, facebook.com forward slash el.j.comedy. Um, yeah, other than that, hey, just keep listening to the Indie 20 YRS podcast. Uh, thank you, Adam, as well. And um, yeah, this, I've been Billy Johnson, and you can uh, follow the at Indie Rest 20 YRS on the Twitter. We have lots of different polls up there and um, certainly a lot of love is shown towards Tony Atlas for his wonderful performance against Barbarian a few months ago. And uh, this has been another episode and uh, thank you very much for listening.